Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the next best way is to make a donation either through the Acast app or at our Patreon, which is just patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. Recyclables. I'm your host, Patrick Thomas Perkins. But that is too many words to call a person, so let's call me PTP. How you doing? Hope it's going well, wherever you are. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Recyclables. As you as you can hear from the buzzing, no doubt, my You know what's weird about the buzzing thing is it doesn't happen when I am in nice people homes. I house sit once in a while. If I'm in a if I'm in a middle class home or better, does not seem to be an issue. The moment I plug it in at home, there is a series of squeaks and squelches that can only uh, be the result of poverty or a ghost. I don't know which. Anyway, production note. Let me give the listeners a little a little idea of something that's going on behind the scenes. We are working on a fictional thing. Something something make them up some some storytelling wise it's going to cover uh many of the themes that we cover consistently on recyclables you know improving yourself uh disability what is right what is wrong that sort of sort of weird uh bs bullshit uh i think i've just decided that recyclables is going to constantly change uh, I, I guess the name recyclables implies that we're still going to do nonfiction stuff like deep dives into history stuff or things like today, free therapeutic from therapy, where I just kind of go over some thoughts I've had because of therapy. The reason I want to I want to keep making free therapeutics from therapy is I understand not everyone has the privilege to see a therapist. I've been very fortunate, as I've mentioned, I think a few times. Uh, and over the last decade, I've essentially been able to see my guy for free. Uh, which was has been helpful, you know, between uh, struggling with disability, having my friend die, being poor. Uh, there's a lot to deal with, and it's I have been very, very privileged to have access to a shrink who can help me. Uh, and in return, I like to, when I can, try to vomit some of that up into a uh, sort of thing for the listeners and that's what we're doing here today free therapeutic from therapies we're going to talk about two of the biggest myths i think fuck people up especially poor people and and they're the, the myths of productivity and profitability and when i say myths i don't mean in the sense that there's a whole story this isn't like Zeus turned into a goose, and then he had sex with somebody, and then that somebody went on to fight the Hydra, and then they used the Hydra's blood to poison a king, and then they became the king, but because of their own hubris, they slept with their daughter or something weird. I don't, I don't mean myths in that sense. I mean myths in the sense of stories that we tell ourselves to understand a world that is, to understand the why be the facts don't line up. Yeah, the facts that line up are, are also they're kind of the stories we tell to make sense of why things are the way they are. Myths, in that classic sense, in the sense of stories, their their purpose is to explain to us why the world is the way it is because we don't have 
other explanation. Myths, the, the, the reason you're taught a myth as a kid is because the reality is too complex to explain. Uh, or, or what is going on has to be explained through something mystical, mythical, magical, uh, because otherwise it shouldn't be allowed to happen. What I mean in one sense of, of myths being explanations, right? You're a person, and you see a crow, and you wonder why it's black. And you know crows are friendly, right? Uh, they're always trading you trinkets, uh, and they're always accepting little snacks. Uh, but they're also mischievous, because they'll, you know, they'll steal food that you left out, or, or if something's shiny, they might take it. Uh, and you start to wonder, why do we have fire? And you're like, well, crow is black. Uh, and they're pretty friendly. And you know what happens when you burn something is it turns black. And crows in the sky all the time. And so is the sun. You know, I don't have the scientific explanation for what a solar system is. And I don't have the scientific explanation maybe for um, preferred traits being passed down genetically so that a bird can hide from predators and do its job as a scavenger a little bit more effectively if it is concealed. Um... And nobody knows how humanoid humans uh, discovered fire. So my best bet is looking at all three of these things. I guess the best explanation, without any science, is maybe crow, which lives in the sky, stole fire, which is what the sun looks like, and gave it to us, and and burnt itself. Myth accomplished, right? That's a, and then and then, you know. You, you tell that to each other because you're like, we might discover the science, but until we have the science, the story works, and it also teaches us some things, you know? Uh, it teaches us that if you're going to be tricky, you should be tricky for a good cause. If you're going to be um, a rapscallion, there might be consequences, and there's there's also deeds you can do that are heroic that aren't just fucking shooting the biggest thing in the land, right? Like, there's ways to be a hero. And it's important things to tell people. So you, you, you make myths up around that. Uh, the other kind of myth is the myth that you're kind of told because the reality isn't preferable to the myth teller. Right? Like, like growing up, we're told, I was told all the time, don't eat the seeds and apples because, you know, water or watermelon. You know, don't eat the seeds and the watermelon because you might grow watermelons in your tummy. And, and what that is more than anything else is, like, your parents don't want you to eat seeds because it will give you an upset tummy and make your poops weird, right? And so you're four, and you don't understand that, so your mom and dad just say, don't eat the seeds. You might grow watermelons in your belly. Uh, you, you, you can decide for yourself where that is in the neglect, abuse, just being a shitbag parent line. But it, it becomes a thing that's more prevalent, that particular type of mythologizing, telling people myths because you don't want to address the reality or, or even confront it is, is the type of myth I'm talking about when I speak of the myths of productivity and of profitability. And, and, and now that I've babbled on for about seven minutes about myths, I should probably explain the myths I want to talk about. The myth of productivity is is the idea that you have to be productive with your time. Um, the idea that you have to squeeze as much as you can out of your 24 hours. It's it's the idea that, that there is such a thing as spare time. That you've got, you know, there's so much time out there that you have additional time that you're not using. 
I, I think the the myth of productivity can actually be most accurately explained in the phrase if you have time to lean you have time to clean in in a business sense you tell people that myth because you're stealing from them you're stealing hours of their life from them in return for very little pay usually and rather than have people question that you tell them no you need to be more productive with your time meanwhile if you are the ceo what does your time look like, right? If you're like, like, let's let's use my favorite example, plaid pantry. If you are an employee and you show up for a ten-hour shift, all of that is some form of working. You're on camera, which means you have to perform for your bosses. Uh, you have customers, which which means you have to take care of them. You have interstore responsibilities, so you have to stock, you have to clean that sort of thing, and then you have whatever personal. Uh, responsibilities or goals. Maybe maybe you're the person who thinks it's really important that the soda be stocked. Maybe you're the 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 one who cares about the ice cream being rotated or whatever. Regardless, the hour the time you have inside of your shift is primarily devoted to someone else, and then the time it takes to transport to your shift uh, is is taken away from you. You know, you gotta, you gotta deal with traffic, and you gotta figure out how to cook, and you gotta, and then all of the little daily maintenance bullshit of bureaucracy as a citizen in the United States you have to take care of. You know, whatever. And so, the idea of the myth of productivity is that, in spite of all of that, you you could be using your time even more wisely. If you have twenty four hours in a day, you shouldn't be wasting any of them. But again, if you're wealthy. Your day, your time looks different. Your eight-hour shift is primarily spent reading, maybe maybe figuring out how to screw another wealthy person out of a little bit of money so that you're incrementally more wealthier. You know, lunch is a big deal to corporate executives, which is time spent getting to the location to eat lunch, time spent at the lunch, time spent leaving the lunch. That's all time that as a person working lower level at maybe at a place like Plaid or a place like McDonald's or, or, or any business, Fred Meyer even, you as the traditional employee don't have access to the same number of hours in a day as a CEO of that company or even a middle manager, right? Um, my, my point in all that is the myth of productivity um, exists to keep poor people busy, right? If you have less hours that you have of your own in the day and you use them for rest, for relaxation, that is super, super important. That is, rest isn't just the eight hours you take to sleep, right? Or, or however, I sleep like six hours. So rest isn't just the six hours I take to sleep. It is also, you know, the time it takes to sit down and enjoy a meal. That is, that is an important part of resting, right? And the myth of productivity tells you, no, th those aren't important. Rest is not important. You need to constantly be doing something with your time. If you are sitting down and watching TV, then you're not being productive, is, is the myth. But the reality is, if you sit down and watch TV for three hours, you maybe need to sit down and not do anything for three hours because the other 21 hours of your day were spent obsessing about someone else's needs were spent uh, uh, navigating 
this hellish society that we've decided to continue to perpetuate. The, the myth of productivity exists <laughs> to keep you productive for people who don't have to be productive. But it also exists for those higher level executives. Because even if they're co not conscient, even if they're not conscious of it, they're aware in some fashion that they're kind of getting one over on people, I think. You know, I'm going to use random CEO example. Even if CEO of a company, a given CEO of a company is aware of the fact that, or is not aware of the fact that, you know, they have more hours in the day than somebody beneath them. Even if they're not aware that what they're doing is uh, theft of labor when they underpay their employees. Even if they're not consciously admitting that their job is far easier, far less stressful, and deserves way less pay than it does. Even if they're not, like, saying that out loud, you can't help but be aware of it. It's like gas, right? You might not know how bad your farts smell, but when you fart, you know you farted, right? Like, you know you, know you release some gas. And I think it's kind of the same way when you're wealthy. You might not know how much you're screwing other people over, but you do know that you're screwing other people over. You know that what you've got is in some fashion undeserved, and so you push yourself to these myths of productivity as well, right? That is why the executives that have, you know, their whole existence is just to have lunches, that is why they schedule two or three lunches in a day, because they want to feel productive too. If you're wealthy, you're hearing the same myths as poor people. You're just internalizing them different. That is why wealthy people are always trying to uh, acquire more wealth, because that's it's more productive. Uh, and that, that myth is tied in with a similar myth, the myth of profitability. The idea that not only do you need to use every hour of the day, but they need to be worth something, right? Um, not only, like... Like, not only do I need to enjoy playing chess, I need to figure out a way to monetize playing chess. Not only do I enjoy, you know, um, uh, uh, cooking, I need to f work towards opening a food cart or a restaurant or becoming a professional cook. Not only do you enjoy reading, the myth of profitability says you need to find a way to be, to, to make money off of reading. Um, the myth of profitability is the idea that kind of, at least, at least the way I'm addressing it, is the idea that everything can be exchanged in some fashion for a profit. And, and that everything has to have a fiscal, financial, or, or in some way, some sort of incentive or profit. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. You know, and that they, and you can see even in my phrasing of it how I kind of believe that it's tied to the myth of productivity, um, and and these are myths that that again affect rich and poor people and wealthy people alike. You know, if you are poor, uh, the myth of profitability pushes you away from doing things. Right? Don't don't play sports in your free time because you're never going to be a professional athlete. Don't don't learn how to cook. Because you're never going to be a professional cook, right? Learn how to get good at being an Amazon driver. Learn how to get good at, you know, uh, uh, ringing things up, stocking shelves, right? 
you're you, you need to be doing things that turn a profit. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Again, you can see how these myths are kind of tied together, and it's it's the same way for wealthy people. That is that is kind of why there is this mindset amongst the wealthy uh, to constantly acquire more wealth. Why there's no such thing as enough. Um, if you're if you're wealthy, because you know you believe the myth of profitability enough that you were willing to buy and sell other people, which is like here's the deal. Side note, like kind of sidetrack, like me going off. We, there's that phrase. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. There's no such thing as a good billionaire, right? Because they have a billion dollars. And in order to acquire a billion dollars, you have to do things that aren't good at one point or another. You have to rip off your employees. You have to try to rip off other companies. And you might not call it ripping them off. You might say, hey, I'm going to pay my employees a, uh, a competitive rate and offer incentives based on performance. All of that is to say, I'm, I'm going to pay them as little as I can and try to get even more out of them if possible. Like it's 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 so so you don't get to be rich or wealthy without a cost, and that cost is always some other person's life. That ties into these myths that I want to talk about and discuss, because once you once you get to that point of wealth, these myths are what drive you, right? The, the idea that your time has a price and that you always have to be getting the maximum profit out of your time. Like these, these two things are kind of, it's like a twizzler. They're all tied up with each other. Um, and I call them myths because they are used to explain why things are and to kind of keep you from thinking about how they got that way. Be because honestly, like I said, there's no way to become wealthy without, without somebody getting screwed along the way. Right, like there's uh there's famously that guy that has all the posts about like, hey, I pay my employees twenty five dollars an hour, and I'm, you know, I I made everybody I show up and do a shift myself and all this stuff, and it turns out the that guy was like abusive to his wife, um, and he just it it was just PR, you know, publicity, public relations spin, uh, to get people to be like, nah, that's a good billionaire. Because, again, when you get into these positions, one of the things I really took away from Pedagogy of the Oppressed, one of the things that sticks with me, is that the oppressor doesn't always, isn't conscientious of the fact that they are oppressing people. They're in the same system as everyone else, right? They're still human. They're still, um, like, I, like I've said, I think, 90 times in this episode, they're still kind of tied to the same species and lessons and, and language as we are. So no matter how much money you have, you're still, you know, a person. You experience things as a person, but you, you, your, your, your opinion of other people becomes warped. And, and specifically kind of as the oppressor, you don't understand what it's like to be oppressed. So you can never offer up a suggestion that isn't coming from a place of oppression, right? So, like, when a billionaire says, hey, I want to redistribute, I, I want to make other people billionaires, even if they're they're coming at it from a pure heart and a kind place and they, they never meant a harm in the world, because they're a billionaire, they've had to oppress people. 
And because they've oppressed people, all of their solutions are going to be based on some form of oppression, on some form of keeping themselves from being oppressed, right? Anyway, a lot of, lot of tangential talking to just say these myths drive wealthy people, but they also are used to explain to poor people why they're poor. Because if you believe in the myths of productivity and profit, then you believe that people need to be productive and profitable. And if they're not productive and they're not profitable, it must be a flaw or a choice. It must be something wrong with them. Because, because, it must be something wrong with them because, you know, if there wasn't, then they would be productive and profitable. Productivity and profitability um, are also myths, at least to me, because they don't exist in, in nature, you know. We like to use uh, hive animals like bees and ants to describe, you know, being productive. But, but bees and ants aren't being productive. They're struggling to survive, right? Ants might be the most populous species on the planet. Like, there are more ants than any other animal on the planet. Uh, but they're all in a struggle to survive, right? They're not, they're not, for them, there is no such thing as productivity. There is just, all right, we got to build the nest. All right, we got to gather the food. All right, we got to escape predators. All right, we got to breed. Like, there is no need to produce beyond their survival. And, and, and there's no profit turning either, right? Like, even, even animals that hoard to a certain extent, like like animals that hibernate, like squirrels and, and bears and stuff, even when they hoard food, they're not really hoarding food. There's no there's no excess food that they can put in the savings account. Instead, if there's excess food, then then sweet, there's food for later, and delete it then, right? Like there's no crows aren't out here making sure that they're uh, getting the most out of their scavenging and that they can turn it in for for cash, right? Because those don't exist in nature, which means we created them, at least at least the concepts of them. I don't think that myths necessarily, these myths necessarily come from a bad place. I, I think the myth of productivity kind of starts when you become a sentient being and you can see in four dimensions. You, you can see time as a, as a thing. Uh, a cat has no concept of hours. It doesn't know what next week is. Dogs definitely do not. I think dogs exist exactly one minute past and present, maybe, if that. Uh, but humans were pretty unique. We can think about the next season. I We can try to envision, assuming our PTSD isn't too bad, years from now. Uh, and and productivity is, 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 I think, a result of that. It's, it's a result of the idea that if we know there's a longer timeline than what we are doing, um, there needs to be something done with that timeline, right? If you know you might be alive in five years, you kind of want to be prepared to be alive in five years. So you start figuring out ways to use your time uh, to your benefit so that when you're here in five years, you're, you're, you're not screwed. Uh, but then that gets warped you know, by, by capitalism, by, by the idea that the people who acquire 
the wealth and tools and, and control over them should be the ones making the rules and decisions. That's basically what capitalism is. And and profitability, like I said, I also think um, has a place, you know, in, in I can see where it comes from, you know, that, that same kind of five-year thinking. You realize five years down the line, you might not be as capable of foraging or, or farming or hunting or whatever whatever you're doing as an early human. Uh, and so your brain is like, well, we better, we better set aside. So if we're going to go hunting, we better make sure we have enough meat for tonight and tomorrow. Capitalism comes along and perverts those things. I mean, honestly, a lot of things come along and pervert those things. Empire, the the, the idea that 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 uh, there should be a hierarchy of nation states and power, um, fucks with that idea, because w- once you can conquer another person and make them be productive for you and turn a profit for you, you're less inclined to want to do it for yourself. On a long enough timeline, that's how you get kings and and dukes and whatnot and people who are like oh the land is mine meanwhile there's a bunch of peasants toiling away like um is it really yours is it really we're the ones on it anyway my point is that um uh uh all right so so what is what is the point about talking about these myths about pointing them out well for one thing they kill people humans die for productivity and profit all the time you know anytime i I think the most uh recent uh most dramatic example of it was was the the train explosion in ohio uh that was because of the myths of productivity and profitability right the idea that workers are never working enough that they could uh, uh uh you could squeeze a little bit more out of them be it you know, a few more hours or a few more dollars by not making them, by not paying them. Uh, you can, they don't, they don't need sick days, right? Because that eats into productivity and, 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 you know, it eats into profitability because if you hire more people then the person at the top doesn't get to be profitable, if you give your employees uh, better pay rates, you don't get to be as profitable. And, then a train explodes and thousands of people die and all the water in Ohio is poisoned because of the myths of productivity and profitability. But they also kill us on small scales, you know, like, like, for example, the, um, if you, if you work, let's say, let's say you work extra shifts now and again, because what, what are you going to do at home? Watch TV, right? Well, working extra shifts is bad for your body. Uh, the stress does fucked up things both to your blood pressure and your cerebral cortex, and uh, it, it causes harm. Plus, when you work longer, you get tired, more tired, and the less you are able to handle your exhaustion, the worse it gets. Your, your body, if you're exhausted, your body isn't able to fight off colds, it's not able to fight off diseases, it's not able to uh, function as well, and in enough time, on a long enough timeline, those are things that contribute to the deaths of poorer people. You die of a heart attack at 61 because you worked a bunch of doubles when you were 30 and your body just is not up to, your body is just fucked up by that, right? But they're also, the, the, the other reason to talk about these myths is because they're used to keep poor people in check. And if you're listening to the show, odds are you're a poor person, whether you know it or not. Uh, and whether I believe you or not. Uh, sorry, it's just been a reoccurring... I think uh, the middle class 
exists even if you're not middle class. So like if you're poor and you're trying to be middle class, you're still kind of middle class because you're willing to do middle class things to succeed. And and even if you're not wealthy, some people have the same mindset as wealthy people that they're going to they're going to get the most out of other people or whatever. I'm changing the language. The, the 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 biggest reason to discuss these myths. Like like yes, they kill people. Uh but most importantly, they're used to control us and keep us kind of in line. If you're too busy being productive and trying to turn a profit, you don't fight the system that insists you be productive and turn a profit. But more importantly, because of these myths, a lot of the work of uh, of oppression is done kind of internally. You do you do an internalized oppression because you've heard these myths. So when you want to go take a moment and rest, right? When you're like, man, I've worked an eight-hour shift and they want me to come in tomorrow and it's supposed to be my day off. The myth of productivity is supposed to push you into taking that shift without your boss having to tell you, without your man, their boss having to do anything. The myth of profitability is going to make you want to take that shift because, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make a little bit more money. You gotta, you just gotta, you just gotta. And if you're busy being distracted by these myths, then you don't question the reality. So when you go to that shift, you don't question the fact that like, well, why doesn't the boss just take a pay cut, live a little bit more like me, and then somebody else has a job, and they maybe are raised up so that they don't have to be in such a crappy position. The the myths of productivity and profit keep you from having that conversation. I think, I think the most dramatic example I've seen of it uh, was when I was working in the strip club. Uh, because dancers don't have a dancers have a schedule but they're not required to work a shift they they call in and say hey do you have any any stage time available for me and they are booked based on uh what they can get and what's available but there is no hey every thursday at seven until this business collapses you're here so some of the dancers i knew would work maybe one day a week Right, they would pick the best night of the week, and they would try to work it. And they would work. They they would hustle really hard. They'd make their money for the week, and then they'd they'd have a life. They'd go be a mom. They'd go, you know, maybe take care of a loved one. There was a few caregivers. Um, some of them just lived a life. You know, like they they would go. They'd be like, I'm gonna work two days a week and spend the rest of the time camping. Right, and and they could, but but some of them would get trapped in the myths of productivity and profitability. And that's where you get a, a dancer that shows up, you know, five days a week, uh, uh, who will do like 15 hour shifts and brag about it. We'll brag about the fact that like, Hey, I am, I am working 60 hours a week on the grind. Meanwhile, you know, they aren't getting health insurance. They're not, um, they're not looking at their other, at the other dancers as potential allies. They're seeing them as competition, um, and then also, you know, because of the myths of productivity and profitability, they look at other dancers and they're like, oh, you're lazy, right? Because you're not being productive uh, or, or you're, you're, uh, you're, you're bad at this because you're not profitable, uh, which are not necessarily true, right? Laziness doesn't have anything to do with whether or not somebody can get hired at a place, nor does it have any, nor does 
affectability at a, as a dancer having to do with whether or not people will give you money. Sometimes nobody shows up, in which case you wasted your whole time. Now, the really creepy part to me about the myths of productivity and profit is that I do think, as I mentioned before, I think they come from kind of a good place, and I think they do, they, they do have a purpose, right? I do think time is a commodity. We, we don't have an infinite number of hours in the day, and so it's important that we use those in ways that we think are important or doing things that are actually important, you know? In my case, as a person whose body is constantly in a state of deterioration, it is important that I take time to rest. Uh, it is important that I, I, I take time to take care of my body. So my time, when I'm not doing that, is very valuable to me. And if I go do something that is not in my interest, I can pretty comfortably say I've wasted my time, you know, uh, because that was time I could have spent recuperating or with friends or with family or doing things that are important, like recording recyclables, right? The, the myth of productivity, though, says the things that are important aren't your things. They're not your friends, your family. They're what you're putting out. Are you making something? Are you creating something? Are you doing something? But again, it comes from this place of like, are you using your time wisely? And then it gets kind of subverted by uh, capitalism, essentially, you know. Same thing with the myth of profitability. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, you deserve fair pay for a product, right? Like if you, if you go to work for eight hours, you deserve to be compensated for the fact that eight hours of your life were taken away from you for somebody else. But what profitability does is says, how much can you take from someone else? Another way that just occurred to me that, that kind of this profitability thing is fucked up is, is when you're poor, your idea of profitability is how much can I work, right? How many hours can I go to work and then they have to give me money? And when you're wealthy, your idea of profitability is how much can I get? How much can I take from other people? And again, that's a, a, a it's a subversion uh, made by capitalism of the fact that like people deserve to be compensated for what they do. They deserve something for something, not nothing for something. And what capitalism does is says, well, the person with the most money is the most important. The person with a who controls access to the resources and tools to create things. That person is most important. So their needs are going to be prioritized, which is why them taking from other people is so important, right? Sorry if that didn't make sense. I haven't smoked weed yet today, so my brain's not firing on all the cylinders. I've only had one half a cup of coffee. So, well, <laughs> my point is that, that capitalism, by kind of twisting the incentives, by changing um, things, because I think in a communal sense, those things are important, not just individually, but, but for the whole. And by warping it so that the people who control things and own things are the most important. We're all sort of forced into believing these myths to perpetuate this system, which is, which is, I mean, if you want to get real kind of uh, nerdy and esoteric, that's why a lot of uh, communist revolutions have failed. Even when communism was a more prevalent system in place, uh, it was still kind of focused on how to be how to make people the most productive, right? And how to profitability wasn't defined as 
how much money you make, but how much you can provide for, for the state, right? And, and also, like, communism has never really happened yet. Every time we get a thing that is that we call communism, it is uh, essentially a form of socialism. Like it's, I'm, I'm, I'm the wrong kind of nerd for this conversation, but it's very interesting to me that like because capitalism exists, that the system by which um, capitalists are prioritized, communism can exist. The the system in which the the commune, the collective, the 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 group uh, can't function in in the same world at the same time. The, the two forces are always sort of, well, because this, this is me going really deep dive sideways down a rabbit hole. These myths are dangerous, um, was my point. These myths get people killed. That was also my point. Um, but these myths are, once you're aware of them, easy to start to see. If you're an artist, I like to write. I've been working on writing. Um, and you wake up every day and write. That is being productive for sure. It's not necessarily improving your craft of writing. Uh, if I sit down every day and write for three hours a day, I'm not going to become a better writer. I will become a maybe a more skilled writer. You know, maybe I'll, I'll through repetition, learn different tricks. But I'm not necessarily going to become better because certain things are required to become a better writer, a better artist of any kind. You need to have life experience. You need to have perspective. You need to be able to approach your art with enough energy to execute your art. And if you just show up and are like, well, I guess I'm going to art now. Yes, it's a useful skill. And writing for the sake of writing is a beautiful thing. But the myth of productivity is you have to write for three hours every day, and then you got to figure out how to make that writing uh, into something that people want to want. I mean, obviously that's where you write, but but the myth of productivity is if you don't figure out something that people want to read inside that three hours, you've become a worse writer, right? The other reason it's important to know about these myths is because you can counteract them when you see them in your real life once you're aware of them. You know, it's it's the thing that I think is really the driving force behind recyclables is once you see the shitty thing, you have the responsibility to clean it up. You know, uh, I have a, there's dogs in my house. Um, if you don't see, if dog shits on the floor and nobody sees it, well, that's nobody's, nobody is really at fault. But if the dog shits on the floor and you see the pile of shit and you say, I'm not going to pick that up. You've made an active decision right, to not pick that up, to make things worse. Equally important, if you're in a hurry and you see the pile of shit and you say, all right, I have to deal with that, but I can't right now, but I need to be conscientious of it so I don't step in the shit. Uh, that is just as useful and important and in some, as just as useful as if you cleaned it up when you have time, right? Or if you communicate to someone, hey, here's some shit we need. I need somebody to pick up the shit. I can't do it. Also useful. But the, the main thing is you have to be aware of the pile of shit. You're never going to be able to completely rid yourselves of the myth of yourself of the myths of productivity and profit. However, once you're aware of them, you're less likely. You, you might be uh, able to clean them up when you have time. You might be able to at least not step in it. Perhaps even... If, if, if you have those skills, you can ask for help with it. The, the myth of productivity and profit 
are insidious because, like I said, they come from a place that is true, that is real. It is important to not waste your time, to find a way to make your time valuable to you. It is important to be able, on some level, to get something for your efforts, right? Those are the truth of, I guess, <laughs> sorry, I'm just improvising this part and it just occurred to me, but that is kind of the truth of productivity and profitability. You know, your time is valuable. You do deserve something for your time. The myths are when it starts being, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean, and you always need to be making profit. Um, once you're aware of that, it's way easier to step around. Let me give you an example. I am an artiste. More accurately, I have been working on, on an autobiography. Uh, not because I think my life is important, but because I think my life is so shitty, uh, nobody will believe me unless I tell them, like unless it's organized. Uh, but I am, I am not a consistent writer, in part because I don't have a consistent life. I don't have a schedule. Part of being poor is my life is kind of at the whim of the resources I can gather. But if I believed in the myth of productivity, as a person trying to piece together this story, I need to sit down regularly and write. Now, the truth of productivity is the more you sit down and create art, the better you get at it because you've, you've done it, right? Um, one of the things that's really that, that I've been really trying to teach myself is just because I see the flaws doesn't mean the art is bad. It just means I've become skilled enough that I can look back and see all the places I could make improvements. As I'm editing this episode, I will notice speech patterns or things I say, or I will notice things I say, I will notice maybe ways I use the equipment, maybe tricks in the editing. And because of that, I've become, uh, I will be a more productive uh, podcaster and writer because I've spent time on those things. And in the future, when I spend time on those things, I will actually be able to get more out of my time uh, because of what I've learned, you know. Like, like if I sit down every day and write, um, that is good because it improves my writing skills. That's the truth of productivity. The myth of productivity is if I sit down every day and I write and nobody reads it, and it doesn't become a full story, and I don't make a million dollars off the story and buy a new house, then I haven't been productive with my time. I don't want to give people nothing for something. I also don't want to create something and get nothing out of it, right? The profit might just be the emotional fulfillment of, hey, I finally got my story down. It doesn't have to be, oh, 10 million people bought it and now I can afford a house and a car and insurance and all that shit. Like, it's not... That's kind of the, the, the distinction. And because I am aware on some level of the myths of productivity and the pro of the myths of productivity and profitability, as I create my art, I can at least maneuver around these myths. Right? I can sit down and say, hey, you know what? Might not get read by anybody for fifteen years, might not even use this part, might erase everything I wrote. Doesn't matter because I did spend the time and I did gain the experience of doing the thing, which was kind of its own profit, its own reward. But under capitalism, 
that's not what capitalists want to work because a capitalist wants to extract your labor uh, and wants to extract profit from that labor, uh, preferably more than they spent on getting it, right? Uh, which means it doesn't matter if you spent an hour and a half writing or drawing unless you sold the thing that you wrote or drew. But once you're aware of the myths, once you're aware of the fact that that's a lie, you can you can tell yourself, oh, that's a that's that's not a that's not a healthy way to think, right? Uh, another example, one that doesn't have to do with art. Since being disabled, I will have good days and bad days. Since things have gotten worse in the last few years, uh, as 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 my spinal cord is tethering more, and there's more disc and and and, and arthritis issues. I have days that I can label good and bad, right? I have days where getting up and going to the bathroom is going to be all I got that day. And I have days where, hey, I should see what the top of Mount Tabor looks like, right? Like, that'd be fun, right? I don't get to choose those days. I don't get to, I don't get to wake up and, and decide Wednesday is going to be my, my mountain day and Thursday will be my can I pee, am I going to pee myself day? Right? Like, I don't even make that choice. I do, I do get to influence it a little bit, right? If I, if I try to go to Mount Tabor on a day that I'm not feeling Mount Tabor, uh, I'm going to end up with a pissing myself day, right? If I have a particularly crappy day as far as ability to handle my shit goes, uh, that might lead to another bad day because I wasn't able to properly take care of myself to be prepared or to take the steps I need to have a good day, right? If I, if I believed implicitly in the tr myths of productivity and profitability, I would, I would feel really shitty about my bad days. Like I would, I, they are meant to, through these myths, feel bad because I'm, I'm wasting time and I'm not making money off of them, right? But because I know the truth of productivity and profitability, rest is a productive thing. The profit I'm turning is the fact that if I rest on my bad days, I'm more likely to have a good day the next day. In fact, if I rest on my good days, I might have two or three good days in a row because I didn't push shit, right? I might not have made money because I was in bed, but the profit I turned was I get another day of being alive, which is pretty dope, you know? I, I know I say I can't wait to die, but that's just because I'm waiting for life to be worth living. <sighs> the other reason, like, like, once you're conscientious of these myths, it becomes easier to see them in other people. As a disabled person, uh, specifically as I've become more comfortable accepting that I'm crippled, it is easier to see when other people are buying into the myth of productivity because they push themselves with their healthy bodies into being less healthy. Um, I mentioned recently I had a friend who's dealing with some of the same issues as I have. Uh, and I've been trying to talk to them about this, uh, these myths because I will see them push themselves to be more productive because they don't have to work right now. It's like, no, 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 no. Not working is you being productive because you're in recovery, you know, because the profit that you're actually making is you get a tomorrow. 
Myths are insidious. Um, I want to finish up with this. Myths are insidious for two parts. One is because, as I've mentioned, they're oftentimes based in truth, or they're trying to explain reality. The other insidious thing about myths is that they're easy, and that's why they perpetuate. Uh, like, we have the myth of American exceptionalism, the idea that we're God's chosen people. God looked at America and said, yep, they're going to be the ones. They're the ones. Uh, because the reality of American exceptionalism is that we have forced our concepts of excellence upon other countries through violence, be it physical or fiscal, uh, and that we have done a lot of things that weren't that great to make sure that we are in this position in a hierarchy that we created. Not only is that a more complicated statement, it requires you accepting the fact that maybe you're not excellent, right? And the things, the, the thing about oppressors is they like things simple because then they don't have to do work. And the reason you become an oppressor is in some part because you don't want to do things. But myths are, are insidious because they're, they're simple, right? And in that simplicity, it is easy to pass on uh, without an advanced lexicon, right? Because informed people fight oppressor. Informed people who are oppressed will themselves do their best to get out of oppression. Sometimes that means, oftentimes that means they just put themselves in a new position in the cycle. That You decide not to be an oppressor, uh, oppressed, so you become an oppressor. Occasionally, you know, as I like to hope all of us are doing, you realize where you are in the cycle of oppression and you want to be a liberator, right? Because because one of, the, one of the things that stuck with me from Pedagogy of the Oppressed is that the oppressor lives inside the oppressed. That's what internalized things are, you know, uh, in, in, in internalizing the myths of productivity and profitability uh, when you are oppressed makes it easier for the oppressor to do their job. Internalizing the myths of productivity and profitability when you're the oppressor makes it easier to oppress people. After all, you're more productive and profitable than them, so you should be in charge, right? Really trying to recycle yourselves is removing yourselves from both parts of those cycles, not trying to be an oppressor and not trying to be oppressed, right? And, and being a true abolitionist, trying to find some new ground, you know, something more uh, dialectic, so, so, something more, more conversational, more, more, more in between, because that is kind of, I think, and, and that, that weird sticky nuance where shit isn't clear, scary to people, you know, it's, it's safe to think about term things in terms of simple myth, because the scary reality is like, pretty scary. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's because oppression is simple, right? It is it's a very simple system. You're either oppressed or you're the oppressor, right? A, a complicated, nuanced reality where sometimes one person should be in charge because they're the most skilled, but they should be willing to step down and let somebody else be in charge. And maybe sometimes nobody needs to be in charge. Maybe sometimes we just need things to run smoothly. So instead, people need to, you know, be willing to fill positions in that fashion. Reality is complicated. It's messy. It's sometimes confusing, right? All of that 
is kind of why I wanted to highlight these two myths. Like I said, they're not the only ones, but they're kind of the most pervasive. They're kind of the most, they're the larger, they're two of the larger gravitational forces that we are required to orbit around in our society. And, and I think it's important to be aware of myths like these because they, they're used to oppress us, right? Once they're inside of us, we internalize them. But the other reason is because complicated ideas are more democratic. Complicated ideas require people to think, and you don't want an oppressed population thinking. As an oppressor, you also don't want to think because you might start thinking about how messed up it is that you oppress other people, and that might make you feel bad. And one of the real kind of crazy abilities of the human brain is that nobody wants to be a bad guy. Nobody wants to be evil. I mean, I mean, maybe there are some people who wake up and they want to be like cartoonishly evil, like, I will destroy G.I. Joe, or whatever, right? And once you start looking into complications, or more complicated ideas, you might start to feel bad about your role as an oppressor. Or you might try to fight back as one of the oppressed. And in a system where oppression is kind of the primary means of getting things done, complicated thought is anthema. Because complicated thoughts take community. I'm going to give you guys an example of what I mean. Again, you know, kind of close out. The complicated reality of people is that we are made of the same things as stars. We are each of us magical, unique, and beautiful people. And absolutely none of us matter. And, and, and nobody is more important than anybody else. Right? And that is a complicated, nuanced thing for people to grasp because it requires a democratic approach to things. It requires a communal approach. Right? If we accept that we are all beautiful beings on the path to godhood, but we are all also pieces of shit, then we have to treat each other accordingly. And once that happens, systems like oppression and capitalism no longer can be dumb. You, 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 you become uncomfortable with them. You can't have them in your life, and you fight against them. Navigating that space where we are the all-singing, all-dancing shit of the universe is hard for some people because it might mean that you have to accept that like sometimes you do fucked up things but you are capable of more right and these myths hide that fact these myths keep us from seeing that in ourselves and from seeing it in others right if we only see other people as competition thanks to the myths of productivity and profit, we will never build a community that fights oppression and, and fights capitalism. But if we, if we look at each other through the truths of productivity, that like we have a limited amount of time in our lives and we should use it as best as we see fit on the truth of profitability, that nobody deserves nothing for something, that we should all give equally for our efforts, or fairly for or equitable for our efforts, then you can't exist in capitalism with that system, right? Because then you start looking at people like, oh, I can't take advantage of your time. I have to give you something that's fair. And that, that's why it's important to recognize these myths, and why it's important to tell other people about them, and why it's important to, more than anything else, fight them within ourselves. So, so be profitable. 
but but don't do it in in a mythological sense do it in a true sense and and you know be willing to show it to other people it's just what i wanted to talk about it's a thing that i've been kind of circling in therapy and i figured it would be uh worth it to share with uh the rest of the recyclables audience maybe maybe this gets you to thinking about yourself uh differently you know i know a lot of us that listen are are i know a lot of listeners are christian um and i think i think in in its purest form christianity um acknowledges productivity and profitability as myths you know uh uh if you really believe that you should do unto others as they do unto you, if you really believe that um, you should love your neighbor as you love yourself, then you're going to see profitability and productivity in a more truthful sense as as, as we have limited hours and, 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 and we deserve something for our time. If you're an artist, I think you're going to appreciate applying that methodology to your art. Just because somebody doesn't buy your art doesn't mean you weren't profitable. The, the profit you have is the beautiful things you made. Just because, you know, you only made one painting but you tried for five hours doesn't mean you weren't productive. It meant you spent five hours becoming a better painter. I struggle with these a lot myself. Like I said, that's why it comes up a lot in therapy. And that's why I'm doing this kind of as a free therapeutic for therapy. I've been, been going over these thoughts for years and months now years especially now that my body is kind of deteriorating even more it's been on my mind even more uh and and i was hoping that by sharing this with you uh maybe you'll get something out of it that's kind of the whole goal of recyclables is is a lot of things aren't necessarily garbage but they definitely need to be rethought and changed all right well that was that was fun that was I don't know. I rambled a lot. I'm going to have to edit this quite a bit. Uh, but I had a lot of fun. I, I, hope you guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you got something out of it. This episode was, like all episodes, sponsored by uh, the lovely people at patreon.com uh, forward slash recyclables. Uh, if you want to become a patron, it's pretty simple. Go to patreon.com forward slash recyclables, choose a tier, and become a patron. Uh, it starts as little as a dollar a month. Uh, but if you can't become a patron, I don't want you to feel bad. These episodes are going to be produced regardless. Patrons just make it so I don't die in between making episodes. <laughs> you know? Um, it's the OPB model. You know, if you have the money and you listen to the show and you like it, you should give money. And if you don't have the money but you like the show, you should still listen. And in fact, we know we just spent I don't know how long talking about the myths of productivity and profitability as they relate to this portion of the show. The myth is that the show needs to be made regularly and I need to make something that people are going to spend money on to listen. But that's not the truth. The truth is, as long as I am working towards making new episodes, I am still being productive. And as long as you get something from the episodes and are willing to give me a share, are willing to just tell people that ah, my buddy ptp makes a cool show i've turned a profit right i've turned a very real profit even if it's not dollars and cents the message of recyclables gets out there the the idea that to each according to their needs from each according to their ability you know not my phrase but kind of the core theme of recyclables and to me profitability is the more people 
who view the world that way. So, if you can afford to become a patron, dope. If you can't, sharing is still really profitable to me. Rate, review, all that bullshit. I don't make this show to be productive and profitable. I make it because I think it's cool. <laughs> I, I get something out of it emotionally, and uh, that is profit enough for me. That said, if you become a patron, then you're technically an executive producer of this podcast. Uh, you do get the episodes a little bit early. Uh, you also get to be designated an executive producer of the podcast while there's enough people that it doesn't feel like a waste of time to read them all off. And you, you do get an occasional exclusive accidentally missed last month's uh, but upcoming, I will be doing a brief conversation about uh, a recent disability uh, uh, experience I had uh, with the disability system. It'll probably, it'll eventually be cut into the bigger disability project I'm working on. But, but, until then, uh, let's just go ahead and name our patrons for now. Our executive producers of the Recyclables podcast include Sabrina Phillips, executive producer in charge of being overseas. Edwin Shines, executive producer of having the name that sounds the most like a character for Full Metal Alchemist. Executive producer Stephanie Oxford, who has the distinction of probably being one of the uh, most radical people who listen to this show. Executive producer Whitney Hampson, who has the uh, executive producer in charge of uh, just being a real sweetie. Uh, executive producer uh, and supervillain, Nova Starlust, thank you. Uh, executive producer, Rob Campbell, uh, in charge of uh, screen printing, thank you for being executive producer. Andrew Miller, executive producer of just being a badass, thank you. Kristen Rowan, executive producer of being pr pretty awesome herself, you know, just absolutely cool. Uh, executive producer Linda Grimes in charge of uh, Church Lady Activities. Thank you very much for all your work. Executive producer Butterface Creations uh, exec in charge of, of artistic direction. Executive producer Carrie Davis, tile extraordinaire, uh, master of tiles. Uh, executive producer Erica N., uh, co-producer in the sister capacity. Um, executive producer Ash Alexander, um, also executive of uh, Badassery. And uh, last but not least, executive producer Chella L, uh, executive in charge of just producing really cool memes sometimes. Uh, and last but not least, executive producer Carrie Quite Contrary in charge of being stoned. Executive producer of being stoned. Uh, yeah, this has been Recyclables. At this point, I've started the music. I wonder if I'll have an end credit scene. I don't know. is self-care. Take some time off. Take care of yourself. The joy of a project is profit.
This time it's for real. This time I mean it. Take 9,837. That's going to be the right one because a crow blessed it. No, I can, uh, you know, uh, one can assume that scientifically speaking, I'm fucking all this up, aren't I? Do I restart? No. The city, she calls to me. I must go and seek vengeance for crimes. Uh, Sorry. (coughs) Thank you for picking up recyclables today. Donations to the ACAST streaming service are, of course, always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right, thanks.